good morning, everybody. It is 7.30 on a Sunday morning, and that means it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. It seems quite early this morning because I'm a little bit tired, but there you go. <laughs> Look, um, later on in the morning, we'll be chatting with... Um, a lady from the city of Kingston about an exciting development to do with Habitat Gardens, um, which I've had a, a little bit to do with and um, I'm going to be presenting for them. So I thought we'd uh, get him and her on the show and have a chat with her. Um, but I'm sure everyone will be very pleased to hear that um, this morning in the studio with me, we have got Tex Moon from the Dandenong Rangers Botanic Garden and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulb. So good morning, guys. Hello. How good is morning. everyone? We're very good. Yeah, very yeah. Well. I agree. I'm a bit tired. Bit, so bit sleepy, sleepy yeah. night yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bit, bit early today. Bit early, bit dark. Yeah, yeah. still dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long since you guys have been on the show? Um, about a month. For about me, a month. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. about the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. So things have obviously sort of shifted in your horticultural world in terms of what's waking up. Jane's brought in a gorgeous box full of sweet little goodies. Little plethora, yeah, <laughs> little, little plethora of yeah. goodies, and um, yeah, Tex, I saw you brought in some goodies as well to yep. share, so that we'll get to those later. So um, I guess, um, yeah. So first of all, how are the gardens um, up in the Dandongs? I know, of course, with the storms, there was we all know there was an absolute huge amount of damage everywhere. Um, how did the gardens fare, and are you open now? Uh, so the yeah the Parks Victoria Gardens that I manage generally we're yeah we're all open um, so the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden reopened a couple of weeks ago now um, yeah some devastating damage across the across the board it's been it's been an incredible thing to sort of live through and we did close up all the gardens properties for a, a little while just to be able to assess and sort of make them safe that was the obviously the main thing was to make them safe so so yeah. Um, all gardens are open. Um, William Ricketts is the one that sort of suffered the most damage and will be closed for some time. Yeah. William Ricketts Sanctuary. So, and the RJ Hamer Arboretum's still, all the internal tracks are still closed, but all the others, George Tyndale Memorial, Memorial Garden, Alfred Nicholas Memorial Garden, Periander, they're all, all open, but with some track closures and things like that. So, yeah, certainly come up and visit, but, yeah. but be aware of the, the areas that are closed off because they are closed off for the safety of visitors. So Yeah, yeah. of course. And my uh, brother and sister-in-law, coincidentally, were at um, um, your garden, which we've decided, Jane and I have decided, <laughs> your garden text. <laughs> so they were at your garden <laughs> yesterday, just out of, yeah, out of the blue, and sent me through some photos of some incredible flowering things. There's obviously still a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and we are starting to get those early sort of indicator, spring indicator plants that are, that are starting to go, which I brought a couple in today. But, yeah, so... So yeah, and it's it's one of those things. We're a year-round garden, and it's and it's a beautiful time up there. So yeah, it's been yeah. a been a long time actually since I've been up there. Probably a, a few years now, and um, yeah, look forward to coming back. I know you've made quite a few changes. In fact, when I came up all those years ago, you were creating another um, section. So I'm sure that's uh, well underway now. How yeah. how long have you been there? I've been in the gardens team for about 
I think it's about eight, eight or nine years now. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it is his garden. It yeah. is really <laughs> his garden. Yeah, for sure. There's for a few sure. other stuff that might, uh, it's might, might lay some claim to that and some of uh, the strange well, they're not here, society. That's <laughs> right. They're not here. Yeah. Actually, one thing I should say: Happy World Ranger Day. Yes. For oh, yesterday. Yes, yeah, it was. Thank you. Yeah, which I found out. Um, yeah. One of um, one of the people that I follow on Instagram had posted that he's a ranger, um, Rick down at uh, Cranbourne Gardens. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So he he posted that and yeah. Yeah, did a, did a bit of research, so that's all about celebrating um, rangers around the world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so did, yep. you, did you get a cake or anything <laughs> special? Or? I didn't, I didn't. I'll what? have to, have to oh, talk to my enough. wife about that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that, she missed, missed that one. <laughs> oh, that's very disappointing. Yeah, but I mean, as Parks Victoria, you are part of the Parks Victoria, aren't you? All of those gardens. Yeah, that's there. right. Yeah. yeah, so we operate under under Parks Victoria as as rangers, but we're specifically sort of focused, a team focused on the on the public gardens up in the Dandenong, so horticulture based. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I see um, when I was researching last night, um, the Parks Victoria. I mean, they they look after four million hectares of different parks and reserves and waterways and things. And they've got this, um, which you may probably know about, the Volunteering Innovation Fund. Have you? Yeah. About that? Yeah, that looks kind of interesting. Yes, I couldn't tell you a lot about it, but um, but I it has come across my inbox a few times, and 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 it is a, a grant that is available. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be that um, I mean because there's of course so many volunteers mm. that um, work in parks and gardens as well, and not only about the rangers. I think. Parks Victoria's got around 600 rangers and um, about 40 Aboriginal rangers and they're yep. sharing their traditional lo- yeah. knowledge and um, we see them around a lot more, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, but, yeah, the, these this innovation, um, volunteering innovation fund, it's um, up to this $2 million worth of grants available for funding projects and these projects are available. Um, you can put in an application up until 2023, so round two has just closed. And the thing that I like, is you can hop onto their website, which is engage.vic.gov.au, and you can vote on the project that you think should get yep. um, the funding get, get as some such. Funding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yep. I think there's, there's going to be a few different, I think there's three or four that actually get money. Um, but there's things like Hollows for Habitat at Westgate Park. There's the Guardians of Galata Tambourine, which is the Merry Creek Management. There's Connecting to Country. I think there was about... Oh, 18 or so different uh, projects that you did could you vote select on. a favourite? I haven't yet because I wanted to go through <laughs> and read them all properly. Yeah, 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 because yeah. yeah, they all look fantastic. I, do, I have to say, I do find choosing one of those type of things it's very difficult. It's a bit difficult. difficult. Yeah. It's so difficult because they all do such incredible work, the yeah. volunteers. So you kind of like it to go to all of them. I know, yeah. I know. So hopefully people who miss out on that one apply again for the next round. But I just thought, yeah, it's a really lovely way of um, the public having a different sort of connection with the environment. Yeah. And even if you can't get out and physically do the hands-on stuff yourself, um, this is a way that you can help others to do that. That, so yeah, yeah. I thought it was yeah, yeah very, very good, very worthwhile sort of thing. Um, so and we were just talking text about how big your garden is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it's uh, it just increased a lot this morning. Yeah, yeah. a hundred acres yeah. is, is, is how big the Denarong Ranges Botanic Garden is. Whoa, that's insane. Yeah, so it's um so yeah. You, are big. you very fit then? Uh, my staff would probably tell you I spend. Too much time on the computer these <laughs> days. <laughs> so I'm very, it's a bit desk desk based, but um, 
I do have some very fit staff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it's a it's a big garden and and it's a it's a great place to manage and and we're we're lucky I think that we've got this incredible backdrop of mountain ash forest and stuff like that. So we don't have to be too um, neat and tidy, I guess would be the way I would say it. It's, yeah. it's, it's actually a, 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 an immersive kind of wild garden, which is which has a really nice feel to it. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I mean, you are obviously a cool climate garden. Yep. And um, you were the national rhododendron garden. You were the national rhododendron garden years. up until 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why was the decision made to change the name? Yeah. So the, I mean, that came around based on a lot of feedback we had from from. I guess the sector and the community, um, but also, I guess a big part of it was promoting the garden as a year-round attraction. Um, yeah. The National Rhododendron, we have an incredible rhododendron collection, and we always will. Yeah. But you can imagine that 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 sort of uh, leads to a big spring peak visitation and and a, and a lull for a lot of the rest of the year. So a lot of yeah. it was around around that promoting the year-round attraction, but also just recognising that there is I mean, a lot more there than just than just rhododendrons. You know, we've got some great conifer collection. We've Proteus. You know, Protea collection. We've yep. got so, uh, some really good native collections within the garden as well. So, so yeah, it's just, I guess, recognising that and, and that we were operating as a botanic garden but formally gazetting it as, as such. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, are you constantly sort of changing up what's there or not? Obviously, the, the the stuff that's mature or anything, but are you putting in new plants all the time and creating Yeah, well, and certainly in the last few years we've been doing a lot. And, and yeah, I mean, it's a garden that's continually evolving and that's, that's I guess, what, what we love about the, the what we do, I guess, all of us. It's, um, so some of the things recently, like we, so in recent years we've actually established, been established in a Victorian alpine collection of plants in, in one area, mm-hmm. which... Which has a lot of rare and threatened plants that you know, there's not too many other places that you can grow a lot of them, and, yep. and it's a it's a good spot for that. Um, one of the recent projects we've been doing is actually, it, it is an established collection, but it was sort of getting to the point of senescing. A lot of a lot of the plants were were tired, and so actually redeveloping and repropagating what, what's called our Australian hybrid um, collection of rhododendrons. So these are all, um, I guess. It, Tips its hat to the early hybridizers within within Australia yep. and, and who were who were doing selecting roadies and breeding roadies specifically for Australian conditions. So yeah. so yeah, as I said, it's a important story to tell and there's some incredible varieties in there, but it was it wasn't sort of a display that was doing it justice. So so we've been working heavily with the Australian Rhododendron Society yep. on that. The Roadie Society started the garden in the sixties and and have been a major part of that, and still are a major part of what we do up there. So they're there, yeah. they're every week helping out, and and so yeah, it's been a great project to work on. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. And I mean, what, there's something like 600 species of rhododendron, and Australia really lucked out, didn't they? The couple. We we got two. <laughs> got two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and you gotta you gotta well you gotta climb the the hills of uh, northern Queensland to to find them. But uh, yeah. But um. But they're, yeah, rhododendron locky and viriosum, which I think to date the literature still only um, says there's one species, locky. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're a beautiful little varia, and we're actually 
well, we're actually in the process of planning and we will be building a garden bed that that focuses on, on the native rhododendrons. In, um, Small garden, then. <laughs> <laughs> Big garden with lots of them. Okay, lots of different ones. <laughs> so, so, and, and, but it will actually celebrate all the other um, far north Queensland mountain peak plants as well. So there's been a big effort going on up in the, the northern peaks to, to conserve the flora up there. Obviously, again, we talk about these alpine areas that are just so, so um, threatened by climate change. Yeah. Um, so, so there's been a, uh, I think it's called the Tropical Mountain Peaks Project mm-hmm. with the Australian Tropical Herbarium, James Cook University. Oh, fantastic. Going in there and actually, um, I guess getting up these peaks, there's nine, nine or so of these mountaintops that are actually pretty hard to traverse. So there, yep. there hasn't been a lot of study done on them over the years. So that's been a real focus point and, and actually, Propagating from them, doing the, 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 the scientific testing, getting them in ex situ conservation collections such as ours. Yeah. Um, so including, but also including seed banks and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, we're, we're just about to start building a far north Queensland tropical mountain peak, um, garden bed, which will focus on the, the native, um, rhododendrons. Yep. And, yep. and all the other target species from that, that area. So. That's an That's exciting, exciting project. That yeah. is exciting, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. We've actually engaged um, uh, Andy, Andrea Proctor Landscapes to, to um, design it. So mm-hmm. Andrew, Andrea's worked a lot with botanic gardens and um, has worked off-site at Andrew Laidlaw for many, many mm-hmm. years. So, so that's been a great process to work through with her and, and sort of looking, I think we'll be sort of looking to turn a sod in, in spring. So. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, when it's a bit drier. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> must, be, must be pretty wet it's up there. It's very now. wet at the yeah. moment, and and we're all doing our, our best to not be whingy about it because <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's it's not all the time you can say it's it's this wet, and it's yeah. uh it's really gonna put us in a good position as far as planting season and things like that. I, I think you know the way it's looking, we we won't have to use much irrigation at all over the over the summer if if things continue the way they are. So yeah, so yeah, it's it's a bit hard to take at the moment. It's gloomy and <laughs> yeah, and, and misty, we've obviously misty yeah, yeah. and and then we've had these incredible storms to to go with it, wind storms to go with it. But yeah. I think uh, we're 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 heading for a really a really good spring and summer. Yeah, because yeah. of it. So fantastic. Yeah. They're still predicting a wet. Spring as well, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. We're still okay. going to be in yeah. La Nina for a little yeah. while longer, which is, yeah. which is good, you know. And obviously, we live in an area of the world that, that does have that bushfire risk, so it's always yeah. nice to have these seasons in between where where you can you can breathe. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. can you can oh, relax a little bit so about true, it. Isn't yeah. it. Come come yeah. sort of the end of March, you kind of go, phew, yeah, yeah, not <laughs> throw another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 so. So yeah, no, but it is wet. It is very wet up there at the moment, but it's that's a, a welcome change, I think, from yeah. the from the last sort of ten years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so the getting back to the Australia one, so they fall under the category of the Varia rhododendrons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there's a there's a group of rhododendrons that, for those that don't know, that are called Varias. Um, so they're distinct in the fact that they they grow in more equatorial areas rather than the sort of you think of the Asiatic rhododendron and things like that. This yeah. this is very much equatorial. Papua New Guinea, Malaysia and yes, and we have the the two the two species. So so they grow in these tropical areas but way up in the mountain peaks. Yeah. So so it's it's funny when you think of the Australian ones that we're talking about, they grow up around Cairns, 
but they're more tiny actually, area. Tiny yeah. area, very isolated populations, but they're actually more climate change to the Dandenong Ranges than the, what they are to the to Cairns because wow. they grow way up in the you know you're talking about above 900 meters up in the cloud forests yeah. in in those areas. So so yeah, that's why we're. Uh, I guess we're an opportune kind of place to be able to put a lot of these plants and, and grow them on in an ex situ conservation yeah. um, collection. So yeah, so yeah. at oh, so I'm at Karanga Nursery and we actually sell um, the locke. Yep. Um, but are they doing any work with um, crossing them with any of the exotic species? Oh, not to my knowledge that I'm aware of. I'm sure, like as as you sort of say, they've been in cultivation for a long, long time. This project is much more focused on on having known provenance um, genetic material mm-hmm. so so knowing that we've got representatives from each of the each of the populations yep. of, of the of the roadies so so yeah but in, in saying that as you say you can buy them the the cultivated form which doesn't have that provenance information but yep. but in turn it's been selected to be a beautiful hardy attractive yeah. um, garden, garden plant, plants, you know, yeah. and, and so, so that, and they are, I think they're, they're really great. I think I remember being in conversation with Andrew Laidlaw where we were looking at one and him saying, I think that was actually God saying that, that Australia deserves one. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> we, we deserve <laughs> a, a glossy green yeah. leaf plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a, with a big truss of yeah. pink, uh, pinky red yeah. uh, trumpets, ro- trumpets yeah. Yeah. exactly. So, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Oh, that, look forward to um, seeing how that's going. Yeah. How yeah. is the wild population situated? Like, is it endangered now with climate change and things? Or not? Not listed as. Um, a lot of the areas up there, um, a lot of the plants up around there, and the actual climate modelling suggests that the whole area is endangered. Yeah. The the um, the roadies themselves haven't been listed as, as endangered yet, yet. Um, but but as I say the actual habitat around them is is sort of what what's I mean they're in the area they're, they're, they're going to be yeah. in the same situation as all of it I think James Cook University did some climate modeling which suggests that within within the next 80 to 100 years there's going to be significant reduction of suitable habitat up there so so um, you know we can always hope that everyone's wrong, but <laughs> that's, uh, it's not, yeah. not particularly looking like they're wrong. No, <laughs> no. So, so hence why you know it's it's a it's a confronting thought to think that we have to sort of get into this phase of ex situ conservation, which literally mm. means you know having dupl- duplicated yeah. um, collections of this material within gardens or seed banks because mm. the natural habitat may not actually be the place scary thing. Yeah, yeah. where they can where they can be anymore. So so that is it's confronting but at the same time it it, it makes a it, it really makes the role of botanic gardens really relevant rewarding and too. And, and, and and rewarding as you say. Yeah. And, and it's a great spot, you know, not everybody can go to the uh <laughs> to the mountain peaks up in in Papua New Guinea or up in Cairns or yep. whatever you know, but you can come to the Dandenong Ranges and and yeah. and walk on on, on a sealed path and and and, and <laughs> it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. So and see them. So yeah, yeah. yeah no, very good. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is AB Bishop, and with me in the studio are Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs and Tex Moon from the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden. So. 
Tex, I've got a million more questions for you, but we're <laughs> going to move to Jane for a little while. So, Jane, most important question of all, mm. did you ever consider naming your business The Bold and the Beautiful? Uh, <laughs> not until right now. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you? Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, scary fact, Mum will kill me. It's one of her favourite shows. Oh. In the afternoon. Is it still yeah. airing? It does, yes, oh, sadly. Oh, gosh. Sad. And you could still watch it now, I think, and know as much as what you did. Catch <laughs> up know. on the plot instantly. Exactly, yeah, because there is no plot. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's very funny. Um, <laughs> If, if you're thinking of breaking out, you know, branching yeah, out on your exactly. own would be the bottom. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so how long have you been going for? Um, the business itself has probably been going since the 60s, I yep. think. Um, my little journey probably started when I was two. I was, wow. you know, um, yep. Growing up on the farm, we grew a lot of cut flowers mm-hmm. as a, you know, stable income yep. to support Dad's increasing passion with rare and unusual and the amount of seed catalogues that would come through the mail that he would pour over. I think he needed to fund that somehow, (laughs) Um, which was a good thing. So, you know, I grew up picking flowers, um, digging bulbs all summer, like the tulips and um, daffodils and things. And um, But... uh, my side of being involved in it because as a teenager you become sort of a bit self-absorbed in your own stuff and and I probably missed out on a lot Mm -hmm. of information from dad that I should have taken in but you can't tell a teenager what to do. (laughs) Um, So I went on to do some things on my own. I went to uni for a little bit doing IT of all things Uh, and then I ended up working in one of the local restaurants when my dad got sick in 96. Mm -hmm. Um, he wasn't around for long with that, which in the end um, was a blessing. Um, so I said to Mum, you know, what would you like to do? And she said, oh, I want to keep going. So I gave him my two weeks' notice, and um, the rest is a bit of blood, sweat, and tears. Gosh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, funny stories of um, Mum and I trying to put the rotary hoe on the back of the tractor for the first time, yep. you know, both standing there going, where's that bit go? Um, so, so you're still here to tell the tale. Ex- so exactly. I, I, I haven't run over her yet. Um, look out, Ma. Um, and so it was both going through that grieving process and trying to then preserve a legacy that he'd left behind of all of this rare and unusual stuff from around the world. Um, and a lot of it, like when Tex is talking about endangered things and um, climate change impacting on um, not just our Australian things, and I get mm-hmm. um, help home first, um, but there's a lot of areas of the world now that have already changed to where things have become extinct and stuff. So um, my passion there is growing things that perhaps are endangered, that uh, and it's a similar, you know, um, and giving back to seed banks and things like that. Yeah. Um, so from my early 20s onwards, um, it became just trying to make a dollar out of some cut flowers and things to now I've got to the stage in my life where I want to grow something that I love mm-hmm. um, because that's what makes you get out of bed every day when your back's sore. And, mm. um, and, it, and it is hard work mm. and there is a lot of... Um, tears involved too because you, you know we've lost a lot of precious things that dad had and that's through me not really knowing what I was doing yep. to a degree yep. and also um, 
you're too busy doing other things, trying to, you know, farm maintenance and all mm. of that, that um, things get lost. So I now want to put my efforts into growing stuff that brings me joy, mm-hmm. and that's my woodlanders and things, and I want to share that with the like-minded people that um, appreciate that. Because things can take, you know, 10 years from seed. That is so and patient. <laughs> I, yeah. Honestly, I sort of plant and it's like, come yeah. on, two weeks later, where are you? Where yeah. are you? <laughs> I, I, look, I've been known to plant seed and, then, you know, have a l- little dig in the top of the pot yep. and um, see whether it's germinating, which is really, really wrong. Don't do that, people. Um, but, you know, and then building up enough stock of something to be able to release it yeah. publicly kind of yep. thing um, can then be another 10 years on, on top of it. Like the Crown Imperial Frillera has taken me 20 years Whoa. to get to first couple of releases in the last two years kind of thing. Okay, um, so you obviously need to build up X amount of stock you before d- you You do. And, and then there's, you know, um, we can talk about a, a wet spring um, and that'll be a little bit detrimental to some of my things mm-hmm. because yeah. of the last 10 years we're talking about where spring hasn't been wet. I've adjusted potting mixes and, and things, and some yeah. of them might be actually too wet this year. Um, so you lose things to rot and stuff. It, it's, it's just, if I had a crystal ball, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. you know, things might be a little bit more perfect. But, I mean, that's the... It, that's the thing about gardening too. You have to learn from mistakes and, and there has to be mistakes for, for us to learn from things and, and have an aspiration to achieve something better and yeah, stuff too. Yeah, sure. so, Mistake um, is not a dirty word. No, no. no. <laughs> Soil is. And, <laughs> and, we're, and we're at the mercy of, uh, of, of what's happening around us. Exactly. The nature at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, and so. it's adjusting, you know, it's, a, it's adjusting to wildlife in, in my... <laughs> Um, in my job too, mm. I can I can't plant as many things out in in a field situation as we used to be able to because of deer. Yeah, which yep. are deer a, is a dirty word. Yeah. Deer is a dirty word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wallabies and wombats and stuff are all you know that's a part of our environment. So yeah. um, they're okay. They can have a certain percentage, but the deer, no, <laughs> no. they yeah. can't have any. Um, you know in I, I love being outdoors, so you know people will send me an email and I might not get back to it for three days because I'm outside. outside I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. particularly like sitting in front of a computer. Um, so do you grow cut flowers still? Yes, yeah. we grow not nowhere near as as many. So it's usually through the spring and summer. So it's um, waratahs and peonies and foliage crops and things. Yeah, I'm mad enough to pick holly at Christmas time, um, but. It needs to subsidise the business yep. as well. Yep. So and, and that is selling, do you sell the bulbs and the seeds yep. or yep. just the yep. bulbs? So we sell, um, I haven't actually started a, a seed um, catalogue yet, but mm-hmm. that's a, a future thing that mm-hmm. I would like to do. Because I think um, a lot of people, well, for me, I the joy is putting that seed in the ground and then even if it is seven, ten years later that you finally flower something, I think there's there's a joy and a, a satisfaction in that that I think a lot of people um, need to rather yeah. than just to buy this flowering size thing to begin with. I yeah. think um, it's about nurturing something and, and watching it grow um, for me as well. That, yeah. um, but we do sell the peony tubers Mm-hmm. In winter, and then you know, double crop, you get the flowers in November. Okay. Yeah. Um, but doing the cut flower side of things, all of November is basically peony season for the 
that. And so my, my bulb side of things, you know, the weeds get bigger in the pots and um, because you don't have time to do that. Ultimately, I'd love it to be just that I'm playing with bulbs and perennials and things yep. all the time. But um, when the bills come in, yeah, yeah, no yeah. Choice. It's, always, it's always a balance, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a total balance. Yeah. All right, well, we should probably open up the lines to callers because um, Doug, the producer, keeps coming in and handing me notes. So we're getting, <laughs> we're getting a pile of people who desperately yep. want to hear some answers. So, um, yes, with me in the studio are uh, Tex Moon from the Dandenong Rangers Botanic Garden and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulb. So if anyone has any um, questions around things like that, rhododendrons, azaleas, bulbs, Bulbs, uh, feel free to give us a buzz on 94190155. So that's to talk to us in the studio. Uh, if you want to ask a question or just um, get uh, Doug or Matt to give us a note to ask on air, feel free to call 94198377. You can text through a question on 0488 you can email us. There's just no hiding for us anymore. <laughs> you can email us at gardening at three, so just the um, number three, And if you want to see the plants that um, Jane and Tex have brought in this morning, and I've put up one too, um, you can go to the Instagram and Facebook page, which is just 3CR Gardening Show. And Liz does a fantastic job looking after that for us. Um, so, yes, I might get to a few of the questions. So, Leah from Eltham, uh, she emailed through a question. Just, I'm talking about the potting mix level in her pots. It drops over the years. Mm-hmm. So, she's got, I had a look at the pictures. She's got a few big pots, and, um, and, and it is, it's a problem, especially where, I mean, it's different when you've got a small pot and you can easily take the pot out and change the potting mix and, it, and that sort of thing. She wants to know. How, is it an issue with all potting mixes that they're all going to drop and what's the best way to solve the problem? She was confused about whether she, if she just puts it on top or if she needs to take the whole plant out of the pot. So any recommendations? I sort of feel like they do any potting mix that yeah. drops. And yeah. any size pot yeah. does the same, same thing over time. So it's basically you have to repot. You have to yeah. Yeah. If you... If she's putting new potting mix or um, what, on top of what's already sunken in the pot, well, it, it then changes the level of where your plant or bulb is, is sitting in the soil. So really it's a case of um, wait till it drops, you know, depending on the size of the pot. Uh, mm. If it's dropped down a third, well, it's way needs to be sort of repotted. And, yeah. Um, and all potting mixes are going to do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and as and as it's dropping, obviously there's a lot of the bigger material in there is decomposing, so you end up mm. with a lot more fines in there, which end up ends up becoming just too wet a mix or something, you know. So, yeah. so really it is, yeah, repotting, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. So I did have a look at the pots. They're not massive, so that would be a situ- They're probably about, uh, from what it looks like in the photos, maybe about. 40 centimetre diameter yeah. type pots or maybe a little bit bigger. Um, in that case, just um, gently tip them down on the ground. You might put mm. a blanket underneath and just ease the plant out that mm. way and that's that's a way of being able to sort of yep. just get it out without doing too much damage to the plant. And timing yeah. is always, depending on what you've got, basically in dormancy would be great. Yeah. But, um, evergreen things, uh, cooler times of the year, 
yeah. um, a lot more beneficial to your plant than... Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it is a problem, isn't it? And, and you sort of think, come on, someone invent a potting mix that doesn't <laughs> look like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I mean, I, I sort of spooked the benefits of the indoor uh, plant potting mix last week uh, just because that's new to me and I'm finding that to be absolutely amazing. And um, because it's got so much uh, coir and, and things like that, it just doesn't seem to drop and maybe also because it's um, obviously smaller pots and things like that, but it just hasn't dropped. And then when you sp- soak it in water, it just sucks it all mm. back in again. Um, but putting indoor plant potting mix in a massive outdoor pot, I think, would be super expensive and mm. not, not really very practical. Mm. But um, I guess, I don't know, maybe, I mean, even if you put more coir through... The potting mix, it would, it's still going to break down over time, isn't yep. it? And yeah, and and of course, then the roots aren't aerated as much, so it does cause all sorts of problems. So sorry, Leah, no real answer. You're going to have to empty it out and yeah. and repot it, and, <laughs> and your plants will and have fun it. doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. it, it yeah, that should be enjoyable. Yeah, although some of the um, pots that we sell at the nursery, oh my goodness, they're massive. They're yeah. almost as big as me. I could not imagine uh, repotting that. So mm. that. That would be a bit tricky. I don't know how, what you do with that sort of situation. Um, get the machines in. Get the machines <laughs> in, exactly, yeah. So, Leah, hopefully that's uh, vaguely useful to you. Yes, you do need to repot. And Mem uh, has, uh, she's in Carnegie, and oh, this might be a question for you, Jane. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> how, how does she kill bluebells in her garden? Um, she's used glyphosate, hasn't worked. There's much root growth of other plants in the area, so digging them up is not possible, which is unfortunate because <laughs> that's really the only way. Kind of yeah, it, um, I suppose it, the bluebells are. Um, it's not particularly the English bluebell that we have here anymore, which is Endemium non scriptor. We have the Spanish bluebells, which mm. tend to be a lot weedier. Okay. Um, and basically, the foliage looks very similar to onion weed <laughs> to a degree, um, and they can behave as um, problematic as onion weed can too. Mm-hmm. Um, glyphosate's about as sort of meaty as you'd want to go yeah. in a um, garden because of the fact that it, it is glyphosate. Mm. Um, I'm agreeing with you, AB. I think the only real thing is to dig them out, but they do offset quite a lot, mm. and getting all of them is going to be very, very difficult for her. I'm sorry. So um, offset is just extra little bulbs, yeah, bulbs, yep, bulbs yep. that are added on to the main root. Yep. Yep. The other, I mean, the other thing is that... You can, once they're in full growth, maybe use whippersnipper or something, mm. cut them right back to the ground so that the bulb is depleting as such because all that beautiful growth isn't going back into it and, and increasing its size. Make sure that they're not flowering because they do, the Spanish ones do set quite a bit of seed too, so okay. she might be getting yep. extra seed yep. for um, problems there. But, yep. Bit of hard work. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah, even if she just got the fork in and wiggled it around a little bit so she's not disturbing the other ones too much, just enough to get her hands in yeah, and start. And even laying them on them. the top so that they're in the sun over the spring. Ah, uh, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, just don't, s- don't put them in your compost. Solarising yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Plastic. Probably, yeah. 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 Could um, give that a go, maybe. That's true. Once she's got them out, 
uh, it's actually getting in there and doing the hard work. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. she doesn't want to disturb her other stuff, which makes it very hard to just get in there with a fork and... Yeah. Um, well, that's what I was thinking. Like, even not having dug it up, just lay the plastic over the top, top. put mm. bricks around the side, and, yeah, yeah through de- summer. Depends what else she's got True. planted amongst it is, yeah. is the thing. Is she willing to risk what mm. else is there, I yeah. think, is the, yeah. is the issue. Yeah. That's a problem with so many of those little bulb type plants and even things like agapanthus and it, it really does just take perseverance and time and I think you just need to sort of set your mind, okay, for the next three years I'm just going to chip away at it bit by bit by bit. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it can take three doses of the glyphosate roundup-y type things to, to kill yep. them but then it doesn't do your soil well either Yeah. Um, yeah. is the other issue. Is the other thing, if you were to use glyphosate, which I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but some of those bulby things actually going with a slightly weaker dose, I've heard, so you don't, because a lot of the time the stronger dose will just literally burn off what's on top. It won't actually get into the bulb. But, again, I'm I'm not sure that I'd be advocating There's all those sort of hot water sort of treatments too, like boiling water. But, again, it depends on what is next to it if she's got a beautiful patch of some daffodil that she loves well mm, <laughs> yeah. not a good idea yeah, either not a good um, idea, yeah. Yeah, so we're not very helpful other than a bit of hard work yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, there's, sometimes there's just yeah. no magic solution <laughs> yeah. unfortunately yeah. 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 okie dokie so Charmaine and Templestowe can I plant a recently purchased plants recently purchased plants in the garden this morning after all of last night's rain personally I wouldn't um, I guess it does depend on what it is <laughs> but uh, I just feel like the soil's so cold and it's still wet and we've still got another month of winter and um, if you're potting into a pot no problem, but... Um, and depending what it is, whether yeah. she's bought something, like whether she's been to Karanga and bought uh, something in a pot, yeah. um, which will be fine to stay in that pot. If she's ordered something through mail order that, that's come with um, as a dry pack perennial or whatever that does need to go yeah, in, yes, go for it. I would be suggesting yes. Um, but it just sort of depends on what she's got. Mm. So maybe if she could ring back and tell us what she bought. Yeah. More, more info. Um, yeah. yeah, more info. Yeah. More info. But, uh, yeah, the soil But I do agree cold. with you. It's very wet and yeah. cold. Mm. Um, but there's also these signs of spring. I, I know um, Tex was saying before that you've got the, the spring indicators or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Um, and things are starting to move. Yeah. So um, some things do need to go back in now yeah. um, so they can make all their beautiful roots. Mm. Yeah. What are, what are the spring indicators up in your garden? So we well, just put you on the Yeah, side. no, no. Obviously, obviously the acacias is, a, is that you're oh, seeing yeah, around yeah, becomes yeah. the. I was. I had a funny one yesterday where I said, "Oh, look at oh, look at look at the waddles," and my eight-year-old said, "Isn't that what a penguin does?" <laughs> <laughs> Which might be more of an indication of my mumbling rather yeah, than. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Just, but yeah, so I sent. I thought, I thought, it, to, to study I thought your eight-year-old <laughs> might have said, "No, that's an acacia." But in the uh, specifically in the botanic garden, we've got um, the, oh, thi- the big-leaf wow. rhododendrons oh. are really starting to to pop out, and they are the <gasps> they're the first of the lot for us. So this one, I've got one in here that's um, uh, rhododendron grandi. So it's in that that 
group that we know of as big leaf rhododendrons, wow. and and it's you know they're particularly showy. I mean, it's they're one of those plants that I would not recommend you to go out and buy and put in your garden because it's so marginal. Growing them around Melbourne, really, yep. you would only get them in Alinda or Macedon, yeah, or, sure. you know, um, and they're incredibly slow. Yep. So, so these things come from all around the Himalayas, um, way up in the high altitudes again, um, and they are very slow. They take, you know, I've heard people say they take sort of twenty years to sort of get to a flower. So it's a good excuse to go out and look at some of your established gardens, but. But yeah, really, these are putting. This is they're coming out now and, and putting on a really great show in up in the Dandenong Range Botanic Garden. Huge trusses of sort of cream trumpet flowers. Almost like a bunch of the flowers. Mm. It's almost like yeah. it's been arranged by a florist with the leaves all fanning out behind it. Yeah, it's quite incredible. And the, and the, and huge leaves, you know, and quite a lot of them. They get the sort of silvery ingermentum under the under the leaf, and there's some that actually get really sort of caramelly brown ingermentum. Yeah. So, so yeah. what's ingermentum? So ingermentum is a sort of fine hair under okay. on the underside of the leaf. Yep. Um and it's it's one of the actual sort of particularly thing uh, particular thing with roadies that, that that looks what's part of their character. A lot of them do have um as I say there's some with a with quite a nice rusty brown ingermentum underneath mm-hmm. some that's silvery and yeah, it's just I guess another way for them to sort of maximise on that misty kind of evaporative mm-hmm. cooling mm-hmm. that they get up in the mountains. Yeah. Um, plus, they a lot of people will say that um, the plants with the roadies with ingermentum quite often don't get as affected bad, as badly by things like lace bug and, okay. and stuff. So, yeah. so yeah, but these these ones, as I say, they're they're very much on display up in the in the botanic garden at the moment. Is that a tree or like really yeah a tree yeah. a tree yeah so these these nice things will grow to sort of the 10 meter range mm-hmm. um and and yeah and the good thing about now is that because there isn't a lot else in flower and you've quite often still got that dark sort of gray misty skies they really they really it's pop out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lot, and yeah. and so you'll see i mean they're dotted through the garden especially they're along our fence line there's actually some right up at the um entrance car park and down in the sort of Fern Gully, they just, you know, as you're going around, you just see them, see them in the landscape pop out. What was the name of it? Uh, This one's Rhododendron Grandy. Um, There's quite a few different species within the big leaf group. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but yeah, so anyway. That is absolutely incredible. Mm. Yeah, and Mm. will that last long? Will those flowers last long now? Will you put it in water? Cut flower? Not not really, in fact, I'd... Wasn't sure it was going to last from Friday when I cut it. Um, they they're not they don't make a great cut flower for that reason, but mm. they certainly you know give you make a few a days of, of of a statement. Yeah, incredible. So. Yeah. Do you mm. have any uh, issues with people coming to the gardens and um, taking themselves a few bunches home? Definitely not. <laughs> yes. Nobody would do that. No. <laughs> In a perfect world. Yeah. 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 Not not. <laughs> I'm sure it happens, and we do. And, and look, you've got to come and go through our gift shop, so it's it's not that easy oh, to, okay, to, yeah. to to pocket. You walk out with, with to that. Walk out with that with a flower that's bigger <laughs> than your head. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but but yeah, look, I mean, we do get that sort of. I guess there is this vandalism and things like that that happen occasionally, but not not a lot. You know, yeah. people we we have visitors that come to admire our gardens. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, my pretty much my only experience with 
um, this sort of family is when I rented a house a million years ago and there were azaleas in the front yard and I hated them then and I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of them now. <laughs> but I know that I probably wasn't it wasn't wasn't a good introduction to them for me because I didn't know how to look after them. Yep. So up at the gardens, I mean, do you have just a pest and disease team or what goes on up there? Um, what we've got is a pest and disease smorgasbord. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I so, um, no, we don't have a look. We we have a horticultural team, and yeah. and and that's what we do. Um, so. The, and and I, I must admit, I probably had a similar introduction to azaleas and working in the private industry and doing gardens around St Kilda and places like that where you think, God, I just keep putting water on these things and they still turn brown. And then, <laughs> and then, and then sort of... And then the flowers all turn the, brown. And yeah, then they yeah. get yeah. petal blight. And, 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 but then, you know, coming up to, I think, you know, up to the gardens when I did and then getting to know them, you think... Actually, yeah, I was probably just watering them, and what was actually happening was lace bug and things like that. So it's, so it is, it is an issue, and we have, as I say, big areas of monoculture azaleas, mm. rhododendron, and that's something that we're actually um, really looking at over, well, probably over the last few years is sort of a more integrated approach with our pest management. Um, you know, there was once upon a time where you would have gone in and sort of done broad spectrum insecticides and and Mm -hmm. and we don't do that anymore um the idea is that obviously the big part of our problem is that you've got monoculture so you're not getting that diversity of insects as well you're 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 literally attracting the pest so so we've we've been doing things like you know around those areas planting up natives planting up we've actually put in a perennial border through the middle of um what's called we call it our karoom bowl the karoom azalea um collection in the hope that things like the predatory lacewing, yep. we do actually buy lacewing in each mm-hmm. year as a as a biological control. Yep. Um, but the issue is that as an adult, they feed on nectar. By the time they're an adult, adult all the azaleas have finished flowering, so there's no nectar source. So, the, yeah. so we're just having to diversify our planting to try to diversify and and sustain our. Um, our beneficial bugs yep. and 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 hopefully build up that diversity locally anyway um so yeah um the other thing that we've really been doing a lot more of is is trying to focus on the plant health mm-hmm. a bit you know yep. the idea that that a that a healthy plant is going to be able to be a bit more resilient and repel bugs and things like that so so what do you do for that um well um, watering. Yep. Um, we, we're an area where we don't, where we get away without too much irrigation, but mm-hmm. actually focusing irrigation on some of those areas. Yep. We have been doing um, a lot more, you know, just things like foliar sprays of sea sol and other tonics and and things like that. Um, so just just fo- and and pruning. Yeah. You know, um, rod- uh, azalea rhododendrons are a plant that loves that constant sort of. Um, pruning to just get it growing vigorously yep. again. So just making sure we keep up with that. Um, and, and you know, obviously we don't ever want to go in and just cut all of our azaleas down at knee height and, and have nothing flowering the next year. So just progressively working through them on a on a sort of, I guess, a five-year rotation kind of yeah, thing. So, sure. so, yeah. Um, so when you prune, how much do you remove? Like, just say you've got a, a shrub that's eventually going to get to three metres... Do you just take off 
what, 30 centimetres a year or something like that? So, the year, I mean, with azaleas specifically, the yearly regime would be that, so after, after flowering, we generally sort of say before Christmas, mm-hmm. so around that November period, yep. we'll go in with a, with a, uh, a light but... Well, a heavy light does that? Does that? Yeah. Uh, Moderate. So, so yeah, what cool. you can, what you can get with a mechanical hedge trimmer, basically, mm-hmm. we'll 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 go in and 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 do that yearly, and that that'll mean that we'll still get the flowering next year. But yeah. then, if you were to go for a hard prune on any of those, um, which we would do, you know, as I say, periodically, literally, you could go down to knee height, and they will they will reshoot. Okay. Keeping in mind up there, you know, these are healthy incredibly healthy vigorously growing plants in their optimum environment so yeah. if you've got a beautiful soil if, yeah beautiful yeah. soil if you're if you're in clay suburbs kind of north facing there's probably not much you're going to be able to do for an azalea in that in that situ- situation and, yeah. and hard pruning it's probably not going to be the miracle cure yeah. <laughs> probably, no. well it might be the the the, the end the cure <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that might be the, the, the planting yeah. opportunity you've been looking for yeah. But yeah. yeah so um yeah that's that's how how we do it with the, with the zalias um other rhododendrons some of the bigger rhododendrons are, are more sensitive to that hard pruning yeah. some some are really really like it others others really don't mm-hmm. so it's it's about knowing what you've got knowing each one yeah, yeah. so mm. how many different species of rhododendron do you have uh, I think I'd have to phone a friend on that one. <laughs> Jane, because <laughs> yeah. um, actually got quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. We've got, there, there is a lot, and and there's a lot that we've actually lost information on over the years. Okay. And this is again, in fact, I was thinking about this with what Jane was talking about earlier about the things that you know, the sad losses and things that, and it is a big, big thing in a garden like ours that, you know, if the you know records were kept but then not up kept, and so you know, it's this part of gardening that you don't think of all the time but record management yeah you know, so if you don't know what you have then you don't know what you've what you're losing yeah or, and and in many cases especially you know introduced cultivars or things like that you or even species introduce species that you can't get back into the country or mm. things like that we may be the the the, the one that has it in australia or that so, had it and that had it and yeah. and so so that is a, a bit of a legacy issue that we do have and it's something that we're really trying to get on top of is is how we um fit record management into our day-to-day great um, idea management yeah. and yeah. it's as i say it's 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 one of those it's the last thing you think of as a gardener but uh mm. but, uh, but necessary but necessary yeah. yeah yeah so i imagine you've got various collections up there and are they registered collections are they with the plant trust and uh no, no? um i think that at one point the there was a rhododendron collection that was registered with the plant trust but i'm not exactly sure where that is where where that sits at the moment okay. status of it but yeah, yeah again something that we, we, sh- we should be looking at for yeah. sure yeah yeah so. and um so what do you like in terms of people growing roadies and um azaleas and those other funny things at home. Um, what what are probably some of the um, most important pests and diseases that you want to try and look out for, and how do you look out for them? What are the signs of them? Oh, look, the big the big one is lace bug. So azalea lace bug is the one that 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 you will get most years, um, <laughs> in the same way that roses get aphids and, and things like that. Yeah. So so you. 
the way, I mean, you'll know, you'll see the browning late in the season, mm-hmm. and that's, that's just sap-sucking in, insects that yep. are doing their damage. Um, in the growing season, so, again, it's basically around that October, November time when it's starting to warm up. You're getting sort of consecutive days of 20 degrees. You can actually see them on the underside of the leaf, so yep. you do actually have to turn, turn the leaf over in there. And they, they start as little crawlers, but then they turn into little winged sort of well, lace, lacy winged yep. um, insects, and you'll see them. And in in many cases, on a small azalea leaf, you could have every every leaf covered in five of them for for every leaf sort of thing. Yep. So so yeah, that's the big one. And in in most residential situations where you're not talking about thousands of plants, you might be talking about a few. Just things like just just knowing they're there and removing them, shaking them off. Yeah. You know, you can blast them with water. You can, yep. you can do. You don't. You know. Again, I wouldn't be advocating for the harsh insecticides. It's yeah. not necessary in, in in almost all situations. Especially so, when you get onto it quickly. Yeah, I, I think that's big thing about any plant is that the more you look at it, yeah. <laughs> the more you touch it, the more you're with it, <laughs> the more the more you, you, you tend to get on top of these things. Yeah. And and it's and and that's yeah, again, get out, enjoy your gardening and, and, and actually yeah, as as they become as it becomes a problem, you're dealing with it then. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Virginia just uh, rang in saying, Tex, are you still trying to fund a deer fence? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. One for me too. Uh, Virginia, one for me. Yes, Virginia. We are still trying to fund a deer fence. Um it's a yeah, deer <laughs> there you go. They're, it's funny, we're talking about these tiny little uh Lace bug, Lace, yeah. um, our biggest pest that we have at the moment is um, is is deer, and has yep. increasingly becoming a, a major, major, major issue for us. So every plant that gets planted will have a big individual fence around it. Oh, that's such a shame, um, isn't it? And and for for many years, and even even older sort of magnolias and things the like that. Browsing thing, the bottoms mm. of and browsing rubbing. And, and just and the, the yeah. rutting time of year. Yeah. So they rub their antlers on everything yep. and smash it. It's it's a real, really, well, I'd say demoralising thing for, for our staff mm-hmm. um, and because we do what we do because we love it. Yeah. Um, and and they are. They're, they're a beautiful creature, but they're uh, they're not meant for, for well, yeah. Not meant for here, no. and they're and they're doing major damage in the national park as yeah. well. But, but yeah. The, so the big the big thing for us is to get uh, an, a deer fence along our northern boundary. But it's a it's a kilometre and a half of fencing, so so it doesn't. It's not a cheap endeavour. Mm. So that's that's something that we're really trying to do, and and then we can actually keep them out. So yeah. so yeah. Um, the answer is yes, Virginia. Yeah. So get your wallet out. <laughs> she just fell off her chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fell out of bed. Yeah. yeah. All right. You're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio is Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs and Tex Moon from the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens. We're running through until 9.15. We'll be chatting um, with a lady from the city of Kingston soon about uh, wildlife gardens uh, for your home. Um, but if you want to chat to us on air, you can call 94190155 or off air and the guys can um, bring in a note for us to answer your question, 94198377. If you want to text us, feel free on 0488 809 855. 
So, Jane, let's get to some yeah. of your gorgeous little plants. Okay. Um, I'm wondering, because we were talking about sort of maybe endangered. Sorry, I'm just grabbing the pot, so I'm a bit away from the microphone. Sorry, I put you on the spot then. I should have waved no, at no, you no. first. Yeah, all good. Yeah. All good. No, no, I'm no. back. I'm back. She it's back. okay. We didn't have too much of it. Okay. In front of me, I have a little pot, and yes, it just looks like a little daffodil. So um, cute. It, it is one of the smallest species daffodils. It is Narcissus asturiensis, and it comes from Spain and Portugal where it is now um, highly endangered. Mm. So um, cultivating it for me is now a priority um, just to make sure that this doesn't leave our world because mm. it's a magic little thing. Um, a lot of people might know the, the most famous of all Narcissus uh, species is Cyclamineus, which mm -hmm. is the one that fully reflexes back. So... Um, uh, the perinth goes right back on itself, and um, this is probably my second favourite behind Cyclamineus. So, mm -hmm. um, it, it and Cyclamineus is ones that they use in um, breeding of a lot of the miniature daffodils and things. The Cyclamineus group, which I think is Division Six, my darling partner will <laughs> yell at me for probably getting that wrong. Um, where they have those reflex petals and things, so. Um, so reflex just curving back. Yeah, yeah, curving back on itself. Whereas this, um, the it's got your nice trumpet and the um, petals are sort of around the trumpet rather than swept back like a, a cyclamineus is. Um, relatively easy to grow too. Um, just a really nice well-drained potting mix or well-drained spot in the garden. Yeah. Um, preferably probably an afternoon filtered shade for a lot of the species. Mm -hmm. Cyclamineus particularly doesn't like to dry out over the summer whereas most daffodils like a, a mm. dry summer. You don't have to do anything with your daffies. Okay. Um, whereas Cyclamineus it, it comes from sort of the more those moist meadow sort of situations as well. Um, and Asturiensis is a little bit like that as well. I mm -hmm. do give it a bit of water over the summer so it's not drying out. Basically, the bulbs are very tiny as well. They pack a lot of punch into a tiny little bulb. And um, I found through experience as well that any of those sort of smaller ones tend to desiccate quite quickly if too dry. So... Um, there, there is a bit of research in, into, like, it's not just growing a, a, a daffodil as such. So when you get into the species, it becomes a little bit more fun and challenging is, yeah. is the idea. Um, so Narcissus hysteriensis, um, endangered, and we are going to put an end to that. Yeah, fabulous. Um, and that's <laughs> such a small flower. Like, it's as yeah. big as my thumbnail. Yeah, tiny little thing. Um, but beautiful. Yes. Stunning. So, um, and is that, are they... Um, are they best grown in pots, do you think, or not necessarily? Not necessarily, yeah. no. I, as we're talking about deer and things, yeah. um, I mean, everyone knows that daffodils are poisonous to a lot of animals and, and things, but I still get my daffodils eaten off. Okay. So, yeah. um, so something's eating. Which is surprising. But so I tend to put these babies of mine in into pots because then I can um, monitor and look after a bit more. A bit like Texas saying, you know, with the all the horticulturalists up there, when they're looking at the plants constantly and things, you can see any issues and problems and things that mm. are going on. Yep. Um, I can change its climate by moving it to full shade or something if it's a really hot day yep. as well. But yep. 
Um, and they don't need, if they're in the ground, do they no. need to be taken up? They no, don't. don't need to be okay. lifted. It's, it's just basically a, a dry summer rest. So yeah. if it is in a pot, you've got that ability to move it away from wherever your watering system is as well, yeah. somewhere cool and dry, and then bring it out at the end of summer. Yeah. Um, and how long will, that, will they last in that size pot? So that's probably, what, about a 30, just under yep. a 30 centimetre pot, and there's yep. quite a few. Um, I basically like to repot them every year, only because... I'm doing it as a propagation thing too. Sure. So then you separate the, the babies that are on the main bulb um, and repot. But you could leave it in there two or three years quite mm-hmm. happily mm-hmm. And, until the potting mix drops. And then we can yeah. repot it. Yeah. But, and yeah. a lot of um, narcissists don't need a lot of food either. So it's a very basic... Um, Requirement, so just a little bit of slow-release osmocotes or something. Um, too much food, you get great foliage and not a lot of flowers. Sure, so yeah, one yeah. tip for daffies, don't feed them too much. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. And what sort of potting mix? Um, I get my potting mix from um, a place in Yarra Glen, mm-hmm. Spotswood, um, and it's just, we, we, we sort of went there and made up our mix. So it, it's... Um, pH is about five and a half to six and a half, so then I can either add lime or do what I want to it. Um, It's a pretty good free draining. Um, It's probably a little bit more fines in it than your native Mm -hmm. mixes and things. Um, I then mix up my own combinations for depending on what I'm planting. So a lot of my woodland things I add humus to, I add gravel to, um, beech or oak sort of um, leaf mould and things like that and yep. it's it's like making a cake yeah, um, yeah. do you so you obviously make your own do, do you come up with new recipes each time um basically yeah um it's another thing my partner will yell at me for um i don't measure anything okay um <laughs> and the non-scientific gardener yeah like he will be potting his um native orchids and things and <laughs> and he's got a a bucket for and and it's like, yeah, three of those to one. Whereas I just go, yep, bit of that, bit of that. And it's all about feel and um, smell because that humus, yeah. so, oh, yum. That's the sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. sad, isn't it? And you get <laughs> off on dirt. Um, but it's, yeah, feeling it and, and experience of knowing, I think, over, over time of w- what is a good mix and yeah. things. So Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. and you've been doing it for a while now. Yeah, so. yeah too, it's too long. So yeah, yeah, too, yeah. yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Oh, well, we will definitely come back because you've yep. got a box full of plants. Um, so, look, now, more and more people are keen to create a garden that brings in birds, bees, butterflies, frogs, lizards and so on. And there's a bunch of councils around the country that are helping residents by running different programs and community events and a lot of them actually have um, indigenous nurseries attached. Um, On the line with me now is the City of Kingston Wildlife Gardens Officer and Community Gardens Coordinator, Himena Acevedo. Good morning, Himena. Hi, AB. Hi, Hi, Jane and Tex. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, thanks. Enjoying... um Listening to the to the stories about soil. Ah <laughs> yes, yes. Now you are definitely a um, passionate gardener yourself. I know I've um, had a couple of meetings now, and yeah. uh, I've I've been down to um, your community or what will be your community garden area. So, uh, yeah. first of all, what is your role with the council there? Okay, yeah. So essentially, my role is gardens for wildlife officer. So I 
essentially run the, the program that you just described, which, like you said, it is something that's been adopted by a lot of councils around Australia. And sometimes it has a different name, like Habitat Heroes or, or um, Backyard Buddies. But essentially, it's just, it is really to designed to encourage and promote habitat in residential gardens. So at the core of the program, there's the garden visits, which we do to residents. Mm-hmm. And we go out and we chat to them about their garden. But it's also supported by other things like educational resources, special events, workshops. And one of the things that we are doing at Kingston, like you said, is, is we are creating um, a new habitat garden in one of our hubs, our community hubs, which is really exciting. So uh, that's sort of support the program. For sure. And I came down and had, had a look at the space, and I can't believe that um, you're allowed to create a habitat garden out of this. It's <laughs> the most beautiful space. I know. It's really exciting. It's, it's, it's really exciting, and it's, it's a sort of an area that's used... You know, the community hub is utilised by a few groups around the area, some mm-hmm. migrant groups and some sort of special interest groups, potting uh, team, but the garden's sort of been left a little bit and there's a couple of areas that we're going to develop. So there's a habitat garden, so it'll be a sample habitat garden, but and it's not a huge space. It's probably, you know, maybe 10, 15 metres by about 5 metres, but we're going to be able to put some beds in there and create some really um, important habitat elements so that we can actually bring people and they can have a look and they can learn about specific native and indigenous plants and and see sort of a habitat garden in action and then maybe we can use that space to have some educational events. Um, So, and the other area that we're going to develop is um, some old garden beds that used to be a community garden that didn't really sort of take off and we're going to create um, sort of a native food garden. And that will sort of come after the Habitat Garden, but we're, we're excited to sort of reinvigorate that space and use it as a sort of as an educational space, really. Yeah, and what I like about the space is it's uh, small enough so that if people have got large gardens, it's a, a space where you could come and look at what you, what you could do in one particular area of your garden. Or if you do indeed have a small garden yourself, you can come and see exactly what can go in. I mean, even though it's a smallish space, you've done an incredible job of creating beautiful uh, beds through there and you've got some um, Rio up against the fences so you're going to be growing things up there and you've done a lot in a small space. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, when we go out and visit residents, we have such a wide range. We, we have people that are really familiar with native plants. They're sort of all over it. They know about habitat. But we also, we're finding that we're getting a lot of people that have, you know, they don't know where to start. They have no idea. Mm. And it's, it's, it's good to have that chat in the garden. But if you can actually demonstrate it, like you said, we're, we're going to have um, some... Um, Climbers, and if we can demonstrate some climbers, or we can demonstrate some some ground covers, or even a little corner where you might want to ha- create some sort of butterfly and lizard habitat, um, it's great to be able to do that and say to people, come down to the sam- you know to the to the habitat garden, have a look. Yeah. So, and what has been the response uh, from residents uh, to your role, and um, how long have yeah. you been in that particular role? Yeah, I've only been there since the beginning of 2020, so mm-hmm. since last year, which was a funny time to start and to sort of roll out the program. Mm-hmm. But we did actually launch it sort of around the middle of last year, and we have been able to complete around 130 visits. So we've been we've seen quite a few residents. Um, the, the response has been really positive for most people because it, they've, they've, a lot of people say this is a wonderful initiative from the 
from the council, mm. it really gives them somewhere to sort of tap into some resources. Because with the with the launch of the program, we've also sort of created a booklet, we've created plant lists. Mm. We just make it a lot easier for people to start. And so, yeah, we've we've found that we've had a lot of interest. And we just want to grow the program even more. And I think that's where those things come in, like sample gardens or we're wanting to do open gardens as well. Mm -hmm. So as the program grows and more people um, create habitat gardens, we might show some examples. Um, So, yeah, the interest has been very positive. Yeah, fantastic. And I know that when I came down and we were talking about it all, you're extremely passionate about it. Why are you so passionate about habitat gardens? Well, it might be because I have a bit of a background. Like I studied botany and zoology at uni many, many years ago and I think there was, you know, I did a lot of ecology and plant adaptation and adaptation and I didn't really use it. So later on in my career, I I kind of went back to it and did a garden design course mm-hmm. and it's all sort of come together and I am very passionate about the environment and, you know, sustainability and I am concerned <laughs> and I think... You know, this is this is really tapping into all those skills and being able to talk to people about it and get them interested is really, I find it a very positive thing. Mm, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And and when I was looking through your list of indigenous plants for the city of Kingston, you've got a fantastic palette, some beautiful plants. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, I think people are a little bit sort of, I don't know, you might find this, you're working in a native nursery. You, it's great when people start getting excited about native plants and start discovering. And we also have a plant sort of giveaway at Kingston every year. And I think a lot of councils do this too. They give away Indigenous plants. And it's a really good opportunity to chat to people. And we found that there's just more and more interest, which is really positive yeah and I, I know with your the new space that you're creating down there you don't only have indigenous you have um, natives from other areas and you've even got a few exotics in there so you can yes. have your cake and eat it too <laughs> yeah I think it's really important because I think sometimes people get scared like the, I think you'd agree AB you don't we don't want to sort of say to people you know you've got to get rid of this plant and just plant natives you know the reality yeah. is that there's a lot of plants that will provide habitat and we want to make it achievable and um, people to be enthused about it and gradually learn more and more and incorporate those things in their gardens. Yeah, yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the um, what's going on. So it's at the Melaleuca Community Hub. Yeah, well, I think the name is actually Melaleuca Activity Hub, but it is a community yep. hub, yeah. Yep. And um, we, I'm really excited. We're going to have you doing a presentation on the 18th of August. So we're going to kick it off a little bit just to get the community involved. So we've we've written a letter in, in about three languages. We're sending it out to people around that area mm-hmm. and encouraging them to come in, um, you know, uh, register for uh, AB's presentation, which is going to be around habitat, wildlife gardening, native plants, you know, why it's all important. And then we have a, a planting day planned for the Saturday, the 28th of August. So at the moment, that space that you were talking about, AB, has been, we've created some paths, mm-hmm. gravel paths, and we've created some beds. But now we're going to invite the community to come and plant for a day with us. So um, that's really exciting, and, and that's what we're, what we're planning for the next stage. Oh, awesome. And how do people get involved? So with... The Kingston Council, uh, the Kingston website, which is kingston.vic.gov.au, if you can type in the search 
in the search bar um, Gardens for Wildlife, there's a big page there where you can actually register to attend those events because we do need people to register. They're, they're free events, but if we register, as you know, if anything changes, we have to let people know. So we'll be able to let um, anyone who's registered know if there's any change to that, yep. you know, due to COVID restrictions or whatever. Or people can call the customer care number because they'll be able to direct them to the page or, or to the registration, which is... Do you want me to give you the number? Yeah, or go it's for it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yep. It's 1300 653 Excellent. So, yeah, Kingston website. So, yeah. And is it only for uh, City of Kingston residents? I think with the um, your presentation that we're doing on the 18th of August, we prefer the local residents to be able to get there, and I think the numbers will be limited. Sure. But, you know, people, whoever's interested in, in the planting day or being involved, I think we're happy to hear from anyone, really. Yeah, fantastic. But we, obviously we, we'd encourage Kingston residents to get involved because we want to sort of go to the next stage and, and start getting having volunteers involved in actually the further development of the of the gardens there and being able to maintain them and even be involved in maybe making decisions about planting and putting what native um, food plants we want to put in there and um, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, it is, it's already such a good little space with your veggie garden area and that amazing pizza oven. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was, that was done by a local artist. Or, or I think the, the clay workers group that come out, that work from there, they created this beautiful, it's just a piece of art. It is and, a piece um, of art. Yeah, we want to get that going again. Yeah, it, it's a space that looks like it needs to be packed with people and kids running around and having a good yeah. time and, yeah. Yeah. And eating That's pizza. Really... Eating pizza. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's why I really liked having you there, AB, because I, I think you could see that as well, and I could, we could stand there and see that happening, couldn't we? Yeah, for sure. And it is, it's just a really lovely, bright space, and it, it feels yeah. like when the other plants are in and the um, habitat garden is happening, and we're going to get some critters in there, and down yeah. the track, are you going to develop a frog garden area? Uh, that was my question. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. 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 frogs are my, my thing. I love, I think... Um, um, frogs bring some sort of um, sereneness to um, yeah. anything and, and they make me feel like my ecosystem is doing yeah. really well if my frogs are doing well. So I put yeah. in a couple of um, pond beds to grow iris insatas in and the frogs have just gone mad. So that was my question, Himmler, was ah. is there going to be that sort of space to provide yes. for frogs and things like that? So. Yes, definitely. In fact, AB and I just walked around and sort of tried to find the best spot for it. And I think it, it will, it won't be in the first sort of version where we, we plant it out, but we want to make it into a, a special project, I guess. So once we get some volunteers and some community involved and wanting to sort of be part of the project, we'll create sort of a special project where we're going to build the, the frog pond. And, and that way we can have a bit of education around it and some, you know, talk about what sort of plants will be suitable. But yeah, totally agree. We, we definitely want to have a, a frog pond there. Yeah. And we, we'll have, mm-hmm. and we'll have a whole lot of, you know, ha- habitat elements that we can demonstrate. So we'll have a, you know, a, nest, a couple of nesting boxes and then some mm-hmm. information about the different nesting boxes, um, different water sources. Yeah, but definitely, um, 
you might want to get involved with helping us with the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. All right, Himena, well, we should let you go. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for having me and for your interest. And, um, yeah, lovely to chat. Yeah, hopefully we'll get um, lots of people interested. So we've got the presentation happening on Wednesday, the 18th of August, and that's an evening presentation. So that's uh, yep. six, is that 6.30? 6 o'clock. Yeah, 6 o'clock. Yep, 6. Yeah, and so we can just hop on your on the City of Kingston website and find that link, and then the planting day on the Saturday the twenty eighth. Yep, exactly. But from about ten till two. Ten, sorry, ten till twelve. Ten yep. till twelve. In the morning. Yeah, beautiful. All right. Yep. Well, I will chat with you later. Thank you so well, much for a minute. Really appreciate it. You too. Okay. Have a great bye. 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 Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that project. Yep. It is. Yeah, yeah. Really sweet little space. And it strikes me, as you said, that it's a Strange time to come into a role like that, but I think there's some really interesting opportunities out of the year that we've had for people to actually engage and connect with those that type of community space. So some 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 opportunities yeah. out of what we've been through, I think. So true, so true. Yeah. And I have done a few online presentations as well. Um, just in case people were wondering, I was chatting then with Jimena Acevedo, who is um, the Wildlife Gardens Officer down at the City of Kingston. And with me in the studio today are Tex Moon from the Dandenong Rangers Botanic Garden and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs. Um, uh, Tex, someone has sent in a message saying, um, I have lace bugs on my azaleas. When is the best time to cut them back? To cut them back? So, so literally you're going straight after, um, after flowering. So, again, around that late October, November sort of period, you, you, when we sort of hit... You, General rule is get in before, between flowering and Christmas is, mm-hmm. is, is the general rule and, and, and give them a nice trim or if you're going for a hard cutback, you can do that then as well. Okay. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. And don't um, get confused between lace bug and lace wings. That's right. Yeah, lace <laughs> yeah, wings lace are the good are, guys. Yeah, lace yep. wings yeah. are the good guys and they're, yeah. they're quite adorable. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is a question, looks like it's for you, Jane. Um from um, PT from Abbotsford. I've struggled to get seeds to grow in the home garden. What do you suggest for seed propagation? What do you think of heat mats and are thermostats necessary? Um, don't want to spend a lot of money on it um, because some some setups can be quite expensive. So yep. any suggestions there? Um, uh, just depending on what he's sowing yeah. too. Mm. Um, I'm an old-fashioned girl um basically we don't have power at the farm so we're all um self-sustaining with solar backup generator when it's needed kind of thing so heat mats and heat beds and all those sort of things are not an option for me okay um uh, particularly because of uh, the amount of power consumption that they take um and uh, like i don't have hair dryers or electric kettles or any of those sort of things that's um so it's basically me and nature so Mm -hmm. all my seed propagation is done depending on what i'm sowing and at what time of year Mm -hmm. but basically the rule of thumb is that you cover the top of the seed to the 
to the size to the depth of the size of the seed mm-hmm. kind of if that yep. makes sense yep. um but then if you do a little bit of research some seed actually need the photosynthesis sort of sunlight to germinate so a fine layer of gravel instead so the um light can still get through is is beneficial to your seed germinating well so I think it depends on what, what he's sowing um, and, and uh, I think a little bit of research because it, it can be fun because you can go from, you know, one or two germinating in your pot to almost 100% depending yeah. on um, what research you do and what you're trying to do. So maybe if he could text back in or something. Exactly and say what, what they is, are. Yeah. 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 But um, I get that it, there is benefit of heat beds and heat mats and things like that. For germination, but it's something that I've never been able to use, so um, I'm not particularly familiar with um, what would be more beneficial in yeah. in using those. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, a lot of bulbs grow in winter and are most active sort of through winter. So, is that a time where you're planting the seed as well? Um, definitely, sort of end of autumn, so that a lot of things get a cold winter. So, particularly, uh, let's go with bulbs of frittle areas. Um, yeah need a cold winter to break the dormancy, so to speak, of yep. your seed. So a lot of things need to be out there. You won't see anything happen until mm-hmm. later in the spring, but and, and especially liliums and things like that, they yep. need the cold okay. as well. Um, so in, end of autumn is, you know, the optimum for those sort of things, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time I don't get through it till halfway through winter. I've still got seed to plant now, but yep. I still will do it because... Um, we're still going to have some frosty mornings and things come through where it's nice and cold and things for them. So Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and just um, is it a, a fallacy that we have to put our bulbs in the fridge here in Melbourne? Um, so, or you would? Or? Only, only on the big sort of Dutch cultivar tulips. Okay. See, tulips are actually native to Turkey and um that's your species tulips, and that's where they bred the big <coughs> ones that we use in cut flower, and we all grow in our big terracotta pots that are big and blousy and things. They need to, or they benefit from being in the fridge each year, whereas okay. your species tulips, you don't have to. You can leave them in to naturalise and things. So people are often better off going in that sense. And it's the same with the big Damina gladiolus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they're great in a garden behind the shed at the back, somewhere where they can't be seen. Yeah, <laughs> like okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it, when you can grow a species gladiolus, mm-hmm. um, oh, one in particular, one of my favourites, Liliaceus, here's Mother Nature at her best. During the day, they're these beautiful russet colours, only about 30, 40 centimetres high, but the, the whole flower is about you know 10 centimetres across kind of thing. Like It's quite large for a species glad. Yeah. These russet browns and reds and that during the day. Come evening... As, you know, dusk comes, they change to this lilac sort of blue colour. No way. And, um, and there's this smell. And my daughter describes it as chai latte. Um, <laughs> and it's because in the wild they're pollinated by a moth. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then the next morning, if it's still cloudy, they might be still that same sort of lilac-y colour. But as soon as the sun comes out, they go back yeah. to... Now, that's incredible. That you is can't, incredible. 
you know. Um, Did anyone watch the David Attenborough show last night about the the colours that animals it. see? So, mm. and mm. that would certainly fall into that yeah. category. Some of the flowers are, of course, completely different colours, and they're in the ultraviolet mm. range, and they just put on this incredible show for the insects that they're yeah. trying to attract. Track. So I'm yeah. sure, yeah, yeah that one. It's exactly the same, yeah. you know. So. Um, sorry, your question was putting bulbs in the fridge. Um, tulips, yes, they will benefit from being in the fridge in Melbourne, but nothing else. Like people say to me, should I put my Lily Valley pips in the fridge over the winter? No, because basically, as you said, AB, things are growing at that time. You, yep. you won't be able to see it, but underneath, mm. you know, your peonies are making new feeder roots over the winter and things, and yep. um, your Lily Valley will be on the move. Yep. Um, so, yeah, tulips, yes, everything else, no. Sorry. Yep. Okay, okay. Now, and very important question. Every year I buy um, tulips in, in bags, mm-hmm. and um, why do I always forget where I put them? Put, put the actual bag of tulips. Bag of tulips. I'm, I okay. come across bags that I've um, left and they were there from three years ago. I've I've got three bags of tulips somewhere at the moment, purple and yellow ones that I was determined not to lose this time and put them in. So somewhere they're sprouting in some cupboard. Yep. Um, no, sorry. Might, might need to leave yourself a note somewhere on the fridge saying, your, AB, your tulips are in the laundry, second cupboard. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to remember where I put the note. Yeah. And, and everybody's the same. I, you know, we do the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show as well, and um, I don't know whether that'll ever go ahead again, but um, I had people sort of ring me six months later and go, oh, so do you think I should plant those nareens now? And I'm like... Could you have done it six months ago? <laughs> so basically, if you're ordering plants and bulbs and things online, yep. um, have a look at the instructions that the companies provide. Some of them actually come with a label with instructions. Some yep. are just purely on their online list and things. But mostly, if they're selling them now, it's time to plant them now. That's yep. a general rule of the thumb. Okay. So, Or if you're buying things at shows and stuff like tulips and that, um, perhaps should be... Planting them make quite yourself, sweet. Yeah, make yourself a note. Yeah. <laughs> what, about, what about when they're in the ground? I know a lot of people have trouble remembering where they are. Where they put them and they yeah, put a fork they, through them. What yeah. do you do? Um, well, got labels everywhere. Yeah, I've got labels everywhere, yeah. and anything that's planted out in the field, um, you know, we have beds of things, and um, I use a um, wooden stake in between the varieties. Mm. But now I've over the past umpteen years i know where everything is basically now so and this is probably where we're coming to record keeping um you know when we plant something we make a list of what's planted in that area Mm -hmm. uh but for anyone else coming along to to find it would be a bit impossible so i probably i probably should do more record keeping (laughs) Um, yeah, I think as gardeners we're creatives. We're not yeah. um, yeah. Don't, don't want to sit in front of the computer doing. No. Anything. What about feeding daffodils and things? Do you feed them when they're dying down? Is that what you do, or you feed um, them when they're popping up? Daffodils, I'd feed sort of around the end of autumn, so mm-hmm. before the winter when they start to make those roots. Um, just clean off all the old foliage and things um, over the summer, and then you can give them a top dress, but not a lot on your daffodils. Yeah. Tulips and things. Um, require a, a bit more lime, mm-hmm. so lime and probably a blood and bone or one of those um, more organic mm-hmm. sort of fertilisers would yep. be great. Yep. Um, but feeding bulbs, any of the sort of osmocote type of slow release, um, you know, your six to nine month 
most of the spring stuff you could be doing that early winter, just okay. spreading it and yep. letting it wash in because they'll start to make their roots and stuff then. Um, I use a lot of the sea soles and foliar sprays and, yep. and things like that that Tex was talking about as well, just to give things a, a boost, especially in a pot, because you lose all your, mm. your good nutrients in that a lot quicker than you do in the ground. So you have to be very careful of... Um, and it's just assessing plants too, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and plants in pots, how often would you change that potting mix? Um, I'd like to change my potting mix every year. Every year but yeah. a lot of the time, you know, I, I've got a dozen greenhouses full um, mm. and it, it's too much for um, what I can achieve. Yeah. And so some things don't get repotted, but they will get... Um, all the weeds taken off the top <laughs> and a little bit of a top dress with a fertiliser and then um, I put a little bit of new potting mix, not a lot, because mm-hmm. then again you're changing depths and things like that. But yeah. And then I make sure that the rotation for the next year is that that gets done. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's just a, a prioritising what needs to be done and things. Yeah, um, and I notice a lot of uh, bulb pots... Um, don't you like how I use this for my own personal, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my own personal questions to learn? Um, a lot of bulb pops are actually quite shallow for how big they are. Yep. Is that um, – would you put smallish bulbs in that or – Well, it, again, it depends on what you're planting, mm. um, on whether you're talking about like the, those beautiful, nice squat terracottas, but yeah. they're, a, you know, a foot across – what's that, 30, centi- 30, 40 centimetres across. Yeah, um, shallow. Uh, it it depends – like cyclamen. Mm-hmm. Perfect in that because okay. the roots go out rather than depth. Mm. Whereas things like your tulips and daffodils should go in a deeper pot because they do make those long, slender, white, yummy roots. Yeah. But there's a lot of things um, like crocus and stuff will take a squat pot because, mm-hmm. the, a, yes, the bulb is smaller, yep. but their root system is not as intense as mm. um, tulips and things. So, again, it's depending on what. And a lot of those beautiful terracotta squats or terracotta plastic it, they look great because you can stagger them against a, a taller pot of tulips or something and it, it just architecturally in your mm. potted section looks good. Yeah, yeah, but. for sure. All right, we've got a couple more questions that have come through on the text line. Um, when to sow teasel seed? I don't even know what that is. Dis- Dispacus? Yeah, I don't know, know either. Okay, when to I will... Do some research on that and um, give it. I to thought tea is, is it an annual teaser? Uh, yeah, never, <laughs> never yeah. heard of it. So yeah. I will mm. do some research on that yeah. and get and back we'll get to back you. to you. We're yes, sorry, we'll get back to you. And what about um, so David from Ivanhoe? The buds on his mariposa plum are swelling. Can he prune it now? I would. I would say yes. Mm. Um, good time to be pruning. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take a lot if he's expecting um, fruit. Fruit. Too. Yeah. Um, maybe just give it a good tip prune, um, rather than taking, like Stephen says, you know, a third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It sounds like the, you know, getting to point good sap flow by yeah. the swelling, so there's movement there. Yeah. yeah. Which is what we were talking about earlier, but one of those uh, indicators of spring. Mm. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, things are things are heating up already, and we're only in oh first day of August. Pinch mm. punch for the first it's of the month. month. Oh, yeah. No return yeah. by rabbit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tex. Let's. Uh, did you bring in another one? I did bring yep. in. This is actually a brand new plant that I just bought last week, and it's probably a, a good cross section between oh. myself and Jane. But uh, <laughs> this was a, uh, I guess a just straight out of lockdown purchase. I, I just happened to see. Did this you go to Gentiana? 
No, I didn't. I didn't. I figured Craig probably has these, but it was one of those funny. A friend in Sydney put a Facebook post up about this. So the plant is Oxalis palm. Wouldn't be Craig Burke, would it? It was Craig Burke, (laughs) (laughs) and um, he got got his from us. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I just saw it. I thought, wow, what a cool little plant. And then just by chance, somebody else put it again of all places. Facebook on the Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. So I had, it was both a, a plant visit and uh, one of those great social visits that you get out of, you know, discovering a new nursery and like-minded individuals. And yeah. Yeah. so this was a little nursery on the side of the road out just on uh, Emerald Beaconsfield Road, Beaconsfield oh, okay. Emerald Road, Tilopia, I think they're called. But, um, but yeah, beautiful little bulb um, with, uh, as the name suggests, palm-like leaves. And it's, and what, uh, you know, what's, I guess, unique and interesting about it is that it's a, a a winter bulb, so it's it's out now, and then it goes dormant in summer. So. Um, and what is it? Oxalis palmifrons or palm. Oh. He was trying to avoid saying the you word were, oxalis. Yeah, I, was I know. Say, and yeah. this is this is another this is another <laughs> development in my uh, horticultural career. I think that I can actually liken up oxalis. So it's you know yep. for so much of my career it's been a dirty word, but um, and not but all of them are weedy. Not all of them are weedy. That's mm. right, and and that's uh, we we tend to associate things with the. With the worst. With the worst, yeah. and and whereas this one, I don't think could become a weed if it tried because it's very small, very insignificant, and and it, ta- it takes a long time for it to get to a big clump yeah. as such. Um, but perfect in the pot. Did we? Did you take a photo of that to go on the Instagram? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to see it to believe it. It's a very prehistoric little thing. Yeah. Um, very cool. Very cute. South African. Yep. And 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 yeah. And easy. Easy and and yeah, as you say, I would, wouldn't even think about putting this one in the ground. In my, it's funny because I've literally, my family and I have just moved into our first home, and after after moving hundreds of pot plants so <laughs> through so many rentals, I swore that's the end of pot plants. And then the first thing I did is go out and buy another one, <laughs> uh, something that I'm going to keep it's in. Homewarming. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So so yes, I wouldn't think about putting this one in the ground because in the Dandenongs it would get swamped. Yep. By everything else very quickly, but but yeah, it'll be a perfect little. And, and again, you can move it. You can yep. you can have it out on display in winter. You can mm. move it to dry in the summer. Dry um, in the summer. Yep. That's right. Yeah. But um. But yes, we, there will be a photo up on the socials. Yeah. Very very sweet little plant. It's fabulous. Yeah. All right, Jane. Let's get to another. Do we want couple of yours? Okay. We're talking about maybe maybe because we're talking about um leaves and things. Mm. Um, not all bulbs need to be grown for the fact that they have superb flowers mm-hmm. or anything. There's also the added benefit of um, having all sorts of different foliage colours and combinations and things that you can introduce into um, your bulbs and stuff. So in front of me I have a pot of erythronium. Now erythroniums are native to North America and into Europe where they grow along streams and common names anywhere, fawn lily, dog tooth violet, um, trout lily and that pretty much comes because of the different foliage that they have and the one that I've got at the moment is Multiscopoidium varcliftonii and it is one of the most um, spectacular leaf forms in an erythronium. Um, it has beautiful marbling, bit like a trout skin at mm. a long stretch. <laughs> um, and the word lily on the end, because when they flower, 
most of them are these beautiful, reflexed, tiny lily flowers. So it's just a little sad because they're not quite, you can see the buds coming, but they're not in flower yet. Um, so these are a woodland plant, obviously, and love a bit of afternoon shade or filtered shade in the afternoon morning sun. Um, rich humus soil, but well-drained, um, moist through their growing period and drier during the summer. Not totally dry, mm-hmm. but drier through the summer. Do require quite a bit of food that I've found, um, but no lime. They're um, like a more acidic soil. So I, I tend to use a lot of blood and bone. I find that it's, um, even though I'm on a commercial scale, it's quite organic compared mm-hmm. to the other palletized um, ones that I could buy. Yeah. Um, it's my go-to, blood and bone. So, um, Even for pots? Yeah. Yeah, just mix it all in first, like that cake mix again. Yep, yep. Yep. And opposed to that, I then have another little South African. Um, it's a Masonia. Wow. So um, it loves full sun. So a bit like the parmafrons it also that um, Tex has, that it likes a dry summer. So you just yep. move it somewhere cool and dry. So through the winter. And this one's actually... You can feel it's a little bit rough and um, ribbed. So this is Masonia longipes. So similar colouring. Yeah. To, to and they, that's amazing. And when they yeah. flower, I've actually got a Masonia yeah. in flower. So I can really quite over. leathery. Yeah. They have this little tuft of yeah, yeah. flower bracts down. This one's Masonia mm. citrina. And it smells a bit like honey and um, citrus, but it's a little bit snail-eaten. So there's one thing. Um, with a lot of these South Africans, like Lacanalias and Gladys and Moreas and Masonias, um, snails and slugs are a bit of a, a terror. Yeah. So um, it, it looks a bit sad, which is probably good that we're not on TV or something. But um, so easy, easy to grow. A lot of these South African um, bulbs that flower sort of winter and spring. Mm-hmm. Again, so that's Masonias, Lacanalias, Gladiolus, Ixias. Um, like a full sun position and a dry summer, so you just leave them. You don't have to do anything with them over the summer. So yeah. um, there's a few ideas for people, yeah. maybe. Oh, good. All right. Look, we should probably get to a few callers. Everyone's decided to uh, ring in. Up. Yep. Um, so where are we going to go? We're going to go to uh, Fermi. Good morning, Fermi. Good morning. Hello. Good morning, Fermi. This, this is a warning for text. Oh. Texts do not put that oxalis in the ground, no matter how tempted you are. <laughs> no. Rum. In a pot, it's great, and it's the, it's the only way it should be grown. Yeah. In, in the ground, it runs, and it because uh, it's stoloniferous. Yep. And it'll creep through any little crack in the walls, and um, uh, we've got it cascading down our rock garden at the moment, and... I totally regret ever putting it in the ground. But in a pot, it is the most wonderful little thing. And uh, the thing a lot of people don't realise is that it flowers in autumn before the foliage comes out. Yep. So in um, late summer, you, you keep an eye on, on where you've got it. And then in the autumn, you'll, you'll, start, you'll see the flowers come up. And then the foliage comes up, and it is a, it's a great little plant. But um, yeah, it, it runs. It's unfortunate, but uh, it does. Um, yeah, it's trying to take over our garden. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. Yeah, Thank you. Very good to no, know. No, and, and and certainly I that was my plan to keep it in a pot. Yeah, 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 but, yeah definitely keep. 
I warned one of my friends in South Australia and he, he just planted it and he said, oh, I regret that now. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I think in somewhere like the Dandenongs, it's probably not going to be so much of a problem, but certainly in, in drier areas, um, it will, will tend to be a bit of a problem. But, uh, but you know, I, I hesitate giving those warnings because I love Oxalis and I think they should be grown more. But um, the, some of them do, with the running types are the ones you've got to be careful of. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones that self-feed. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, good warning. And, yeah. And I just had a question for Jane. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> have you had a lot of trouble with, with botrytis this year? Grey mould on the leaves? Um, on some of the colchicum, yes. Um, oh, and right. it, it's just the weather too mm. for me. Because yeah. um, it, it is a very, very wet. Um Occasionally, like Colchicum silicicum is more sort of, I find, prone to botrytis, so I sort of keep it separate to the other ones that I grow. But some of the other ones have actually got it this year. Um, mm. So I use a sort of sulphur-based fungicide and things on okay. those. But it's it's a case of, you know, you need a dry day to be able to spray so it dries mm. um, <laughs> as well. So, yeah, it's just... The weather at the moment, and um, yep, it is a bit of an issue. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I'll have to try the sulphur-based thing because it's actually decimated some of the foliage of um, of some of the lacanalia. Oh, okay. The hardiest things in the world. Yeah. No, my my lacanalias are okay. My gladiolus splendens that gets a, a a bit of a rust through it too because it comes up so early and I think that doesn't like my cold. I think that probably needs to be a bit warmer. But the yeah. Lacanalias so far, touch wood, are okay. But yeah. see if you can get yourself a um, sulphur-based fungicide yeah. or something. Um, otherwise, next time you're down, I'll give you some. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Good watching. on you, Fermi. Thank, Thank you, Nicole. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 All right. And let's go straight away to Rosie in Thornbury. Hi, Rosie. Hello. Hi. Thanks for holding. What can we help you with? Rosie? You there, Rosie? Rosie? Okay, Rosie might have... um, She's gone to have a cuppa. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Um, What about Evelyn? Are you there, Evelyn? Yes, I am. Hi, thanks for holding. That's okay. Um, This question for Jane. Um, Jane, I bought some fritillaria bulbs from you, not the last miscus, but the one before that, and don't even ask me what year it is. Yep. Um, and I planted them as per your instructions. They're currently in leaf, yep. and quite a lot of them. It's the Slitillaria uva vulpes. Uva vulpes, yes. Yep. Um, I also bought the Miliagris. Yep. They haven't flowered. Okay, still haven't flowered. Do you, are you still getting growth on the Miliagris or not? No, they haven't come up at all. Haven't come up, okay. Um, Miliagris doesn't like to be dry over the summer so that may be an issue but if you ring me after christmas and we'll deal with that um at a different stage um now the uva vulpus um could do with a feed if you haven't fed them um so a little bit of lime and a little bit of blood and bone as well and let that wash in naturally um it does offset quite well um not to weedy stage or anything but you need to be able to feed that main bulb so that um you're producing a flower yeah, I've got quite quite a few, actually yep. quite a lot that have come up. Um, if I was to transfer them, I've got a Grecian bowl, which is uh, about 45 centimetres yep. um, diameter. But 
you know, shallow, not, not deep. When could I move them? In, once they die back down. So by Christmas, you can do it for Christmas present to yourself. And just when you, and fritillary is in a pot, just try and see whether you can mix in some leaf mould or some um, humus or compost or something uh, just to make it a bit yummier than just a regular potting mix, that's all. Yeah, yeah actually that's what I did with this one. You told me about that, yep. so I did it, and uh, they've come up beautifully. So, yep. And if you give me, a buzz, give me a buzz after humus? Christmas and we'll yeah. sort out the Meliagris thing then too. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Jane. No worries. Good on you, Bye. Bye for now. Bye. Actually, Rosie um, was going to talk to us and remind us that it's National Tree Day today. Oh, happy oh, Tree Day. Yeah, National I completely Tree Day. forgot yeah, about yeah, that. I forgot about that oh, too. Oh, my goodness. Mm. There's so many national and international things that, uh, yeah, and she was saying um, be fantastic if people could uh, support Friends of the Earth and, and uh, do a bit of research and learn about what's happening in forests and um, how they can either support by getting out and planting trees or volunteering in some way or maybe um, donating to different causes, things like that. So there's a lot, a lot of ways that we can help, write to local members about um, foresting and all those sorts of things. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah, lots lots of different things that we can do. So thank you, Rosie, yeah, for the good reminder. reminder. Yeah, National Tree Day. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe I forgot that. Um, okie dokie. Well, we're sort of um, coming to the end of our time, unbelievably. Um, I didn't get to talk about my plant. No, if, if anybody wants to have a look, I, I popped up on um, – well, this popped up on Instagram. I brought in a, a conostylus, um, which is um, – it's a um, – in the same – um, family as kangaroo paws um, there are a group of um, I think there's about 40 or so different species and just really fantastic little rockery plants um, all have got yellow mm, flowers beautiful. Beautiful. Um, this particular one's called lemon lights but yeah they like the same conditions as kangaroo paws sort of well drained soil sunny spots um, nicely aerated but yeah fantastic for long parts or all things like that so mm. that's up on up on the socials, so you can mm-hmm. have a look at the conostylus. That particular one is lemon lights. So, um, yeah, so everyone, what, what's up for the rest of the day? Going back to bed? Going to get out in the garden? Working. Yep. Work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No Probably. brain every day. <laughs> yeah. so, renovating. Yeah. Oh, because <laughs> oh, you've just moved into yeah. your first home. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. So, so busy day. Yeah. So yeah, we're nearly, nearly ready to get in the garden, but uh, just mm-hmm. trying to get finished with the in- indoor stuff and then... Just then you time. can play. Yeah. When did, how long ago did you move? Uh, well, start of June. Okay, so. not not long at all. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And blank oh, canvas garden. Blank and what about you, AB? Garden. What are you doing for the rest of the day? Uh, definitely going to go and get a coffee first. Yep. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, just a, f- a few bits and bobs in the garden, and probably Good. talk to the chickens for a while. So Good. I'd <laughs> like to have a Sunday and chat with them. Um, but it, yes, it is time for us to go now. Yep. So I would like to say um, thank you to Liz for doing our socials. Uh, thanks to our producers, Doug and Matt, who've been rushing back and forth, um, <laughs> sending notes and answering phones and etc. etc. A huge thank you um, to Tex Moon and to Jane Tonkin for coming in and sharing your knowledge. You guys know a, a huge amount. I'm very, very impressed, and it was lovely to chat with you. Uh, also, thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Abby Bishop, and until next week, bye-bye for now. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.